Hello and welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. The following episode and intro song that you're about to hear was created and produced by listener and audio ninja Chris P. from Florida. Sir, you claim to defend it? Pathetic. You can't claim support for our troops without supporting their mission, Mr. Speaker. God, that is so dishonest on so many levels. All those people who died on 9-11, and you guys want to use 9-11 as an excuse to do everything you want, attack Iraq and Iran, the people that have absolutely nothing to do with 9-11? Don't you dare talk about 9-11, please. This election is our chance to give the American people a reason to believe again. It is time now for Barack Obama. Welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from MSNBC, The Young Turks, TPM TV, Randy Rhodes, Rachel Maddow, Keith Oberman, and The Mike Malloy Show. All the votes are counted in Georgia. Barack Obama is the winner. Senator Barack Obama to win the Illinois Democratic primary. Senator Hillary Clinton, the winner of the Oklahoma Democratic primary. Hillary Clinton is the projected winner from Tennessee. Massachusetts has been won tonight. Hillary Clinton. The New York primary has now been projected for for Hillary Clinton. Barack Obama will win the state of Delaware. It is Hillary Clinton in New Jersey. Barack Obama is projected as the winner in Alabama. Barack Obama has won in North Dakota. The Utah primary. Primary has gone to Barack Obama, so Kansas goes to Barack Obama. Barack Obama has uh, will win in uh, Connecticut, Minnesota, uh, giving uh, Barack Obama his ninth in Idaho. The caucus there again is going to go to Barack Obama. Senator Clinton has okay. won. All right, has won Arizona tonight. Let's take a look at Colorado. Barack Obama, another caucus state, big win for him. Hillary Clinton has won California. Apparent victory above Barack Obama in Missouri. Barack Obama has won in Alaska, Arkansas. Senator Clinton with a terrific and large victory over Senator Obama there. Wow. I guess what's coming now, Keith, is the side war over what really happened tonight. I think we're going to see a lot of claim and a lot of spin and a lot of flackery, as we like to say in journalism, from both sides. Let's go to the correspondents right now to start cutting through some of that that's coming, starting with David Schuster in Chicago at Obama headquarters. It just seems to me, David, you and I work together all the time. Thirteen wins tonight for Obama. If you had said two weeks ago that California was going to be a tough call for Hillary or that uh, these states like Connecticut would be taken from her, it just seems to me that over time it's a big victory for, Mc- for uh, Obama, even though he didn't quite blow her away tonight. 
No, Chris, I absolutely agree. In fact, the Obama campaign is elated with how this went because all along they have said, look, if we can get a draw on Super Tuesday, if we can get close in the delegate counts, we can make this a war of attrition. And with the financial edge that we have, we can start to wear Hillary Clinton down. And the other thing that a draw does, Chris, is that it freezes some of those delegates, the superdelegates. There's some 400 that are still out there that have not committed yet. Right. It essentially freezes them in their tracks because they want to see now, well, what's going to happen now in Washington State, in Louisiana, Nebraska, and then in Washington, D.C., in Virginia, and Maryland? These are all places where the Obama campaign is already running ads. They believe that the more time they can invest in these states, their numbers go up, and they keep talking about Hillary Clinton being at a ceiling. So they're going back to a battleground they like, and that is a couple of states at a time as opposed to having to deal with all 20 like they had to deal with today. So Chris. it puts them in the position perhaps of winning most of the elected delegates and being able to argue as we get closer to the end of this cycle, or the end of this season, that how dare the superdelegates deny the uh, elected delegates their majority. Yeah, Chris, they can make the argument that, look, we did not get beaten badly on Super Tuesday. We are very much alive, and we're starting to rise in the numbers in some of these states. And what it essentially does is it freezes a lot of people in their tracks, and it extends right. to sort of the calendar that the Obama campaign believes is extremely favorable to them. While you're out there, David, I want you to get uh, Barack Obama to come on hardball in our studios in Washington. <laughs> oh, we're trying. We're we working are in trying. the region. I mean, he's going to work Virginia and Maryland and D.C. He ought to be able to stop by for a, a, you know, a real visit. We'll have some tea for him, perhaps some uh, crumpets. It'll be a nice sort of hour for him. Anyway, it'd be nice for him to come by anyway. I mean that. We have to start using the stick to get some action here. Anyway, David, you're the stick. My friend, bring him in. Anyway, thank you, David Schuster. <laughs> now, just that I see you winding up, and you're dressing this a color on the edge of fire. Until these Titans strive, they march in time again. I don't know where I will go. I don't know. I don't know if I will cut through I don't know I don't know If my heart will be without you Barack Obama is the winner Hillary Clinton is the projected winner Barack Obama is projected as the winner Senator Clinton has won Hot Barack Obama won more delegates than Hillary Clinton. And Ari Melber of the nation is here to back me up on that. 
Or is that true or untrue? It appears true today. Aha! Aha! What happened now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what always happens in these uh, states is they have proportional allocation of these delegates. Uh, and the bottom line is that, uh, you know, Obama basically he won more states, although not the biggest states, um, and he won convincingly in more states. As I write in the nation.com today, he won by over 60% in seven states, racking up these extra key delegates, um, while Hillary only topped uh, 60% in one state. So he has a slight edge. It's also still very close. Yeah, all right. So let, let's understand a little bit better. Uh, overall, for, has New Mexico finally decided who's won yet or no? I haven't seen it. If it has, I haven't seen it. Right. Now, New Mexico's still up in there. Obama has like a 1% lead there. I don't know what it is about New Mexico. I, <laughs> this happens in their uh, general election races, too, yeah. Yeah, it happens in the same way in each state every year. Like, Florida's always a mess. There's always some controversy. And New Mexico's always comes in, like, 18 days after everybody else. They're like, oh, you, you, oh, you wanted the election results. Oh, sorry, man. We just kind of put that aside. We were doing something else. Okay, yeah, sure, here they are. So uh, New Mexico, believe it or not, is still not in. So at this point... Barack Obama won 13 states, Hillary Clinton won 8 states, and American Samoa. Let's not forget that. Uh, so, but, Ari, you make an interesting point. Tell us how many states that Hillary Clinton went over 60%, how many Barack Obama went over 60%, you know, in other words, large wins, really large wins, and why right, that matters delegate-wise. To stress that for, uh, for the listeners, because they might not get this on uh, cable news, uh, she did that in one state over his, over 60% in Arizona. He did it in seven. And I could also add in three of those states he racked up uh, something close to 70%. So he really did have big wins. Uh, and then when you look at even close states like Missouri, where they both did very well, uh, you know, she did well among the Democratic base and working-class voters in Missouri. Uh, Hillary Clinton continues to do well uh, among working-class and poor voters, which is important for any Democrat. Uh, but I think perhaps more important, Barack Obama bested her by 37% among independents in Missouri. And we've had a lot of talk about, well, you know, will this work for him in other states? Will it work later on? There's been a lot of skepticism heaped upon his, his supposed appeal to independents and even Republicans. So what you saw yesterday in Missouri was a hell of a lot of people who say they're not Democrats, they're independents, and who didn't just tell a pollster, but who stood up and went to the polls. Uh, to cast a vote for Barack Obama, I think that is the uh, that's the hidden story here. Well, I think Missouri is such a huge part of the story for both the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, on the Democratic side, it's so close. Hillary Clinton has the lead, has a big lead in the beginning. Obama closes, 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 and then finally at the last second overtakes her, even though they had already called the race, Associated Press had, uh, for Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton's people had already sent out a press release saying they had won the race. I mean, it's, there it is. It's a microcosm for the Democratic race and for the Republican race, the same thing. You know, here comes Huckabee from the South, John McCain from the Northeast, and and uh, Romney from the West and Mountain West, and they all meet up right in the middle in Missouri. And it winds, winds up being 33, 32, 29, so close, and McCain edges it out. It seems to me that if you're going to look at any state to see how the country is going to go, it certainly appears to be Missouri. Well, that's right, Jake. As you know, and as I'm sure a lot of your uh, political junkie listeners know, 
Missouri is usually the linchpin to a Republican majority in the Electoral College. Um, it's only happened, I believe, once in the modern era in the last hundred years that a Republican has actually won the White House without Missouri. So it is one of those states that, for whatever kooky reason, uh, really does seem to be a bellwether. And then second, in its makeup, like Ohio, it, uh, it has the kind of working class and high independent turnout, uh, and to some degree also a rural vote there, uh, but a less partisan, less evangelical rural vote that makes it a classic high-delegate swing state. So, you know, I don't believe, and I've written this, I don't think electability should be the only thing that guides Democrats, uh, or any voters for that matter. However, given that the Hillary Clinton campaign has so relentlessly pressed the case about her supposed uh, electability edge, I think that really evaporated yesterday by, by any reading of the states that matter. Yeah, you know, look, I want to talk about independence. I want to talk about Obama's uh, wins in some of those states that I, you know, you don't necessarily expect. I want to talk about demographics, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to a controversial point instead. Let's have some fun, okay? Please. Uh, when you look at the demos, Ari, you know, blacks vote for Obama more, uh, educated folks vote for Obama more, um, young folks vote for Obama more. Hillary Clinton, uh, her big wins are in older women, uh, women, but even more so older women, um, Hispanics, and here's here's what I'm driving at. It seems to me, though, that her number one base is people who don't know any better, okay? People who don't have a lot of information. Uh, when you talk about people who have information versus people who don't have information, Obama kills her. But people who don't have information, they go, ah, Clinton. Yeah, I know Clinton. Check. Am I being grossly unfair to Hillary Clinton? Well, you're being unfair, Cenk, if you're blaming her at all for that. I mean, that is well beyond her control in terms of, of where people decide to put their votes. Having said that, uh, I think you are on to something, and there's no reason to beat around the bush. And look at California, where everyone said she has done so well. If you dig into those numbers uh, in the exit polls on CNN.com, um, she is dominating there among uh, college dropouts at over, uh, excuse me, high school dropouts at over 60%, uh, and winning uh, basically the votes of people who um, who didn't get as much education or, or, or get as far in life. Now, by the way, I mean that doesn't mean that we can make any sweeping generalizations about them, but in the sense that people have sliced up the electorate in all these different ways, and we've heard so much about race. I think you're right to point out it's, it's not just race and gender here. There is an education and wealth gap, and uh, voters who consume more news and who are better educated overwhelmingly flock to Obama. Now, again, to go back to electability, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a winning coalition in the general election. But I do think the Clinton campaign should be careful uh, in how they speak about what, what does not look to be at this juncture from yesterday uh, like a winning coalition for her. Yeah, you know, we're going to have to see. People always say, hey, the longer Obama has, the better he does in states and in elections. And now he's going to have a little bit more time before some of these elections, especially I think Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Texas are in March, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we'll see if he can close that information gap. But I just, it's one, it's not much bragging rights on the Hillary's part to say, yeah, I want the people that don't know better, right? Because they know my name and they don't know the other guy's name. It's, it's, it's nothing to write home to mom about, right? Um, number no, two. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, 
And number two, I'm surprised that Obama isn't taking advantage of that more. I know he doesn't want to diss other people. I don't mean Hillary Clinton, but the voters, et cetera. But he's got to start talking about this information um, advantage he has. Well, and there's also a question of what is our baseline? Is our baseline what people know about the candidates? Because by that baseline, uh, where Hillary and Bill Clinton uh, have been front and center in the Democratic Party for the better part of two decades, uh, by that baseline, this was a complete rout, okay? They finally got it down to a two-person race, you know, where, where she should be doing well. And uh, they went out into, into a, a Super Tuesday field that everyone agreed two months ago was heavily stacked in her favor, her home state being larger, New Jersey uh, being next door, her home state being a huge delegate, uh, a delegate state, California being a place where the Clintons have spent tons of time fundraising and really obviously... Uh, the center of the old Democratic establishment in terms of, uh, of the fundraising community out there that, where they've spent a lot of time. And despite all that, she narrowly lost the delegate count, lost more states, basically lost everywhere that she didn't already have a built-in multi-year advantage. I think by that standard, again, if you're handicapping, this was a route. Unfortunately, you know, we have this, this constant jumpy commentary that basically tried to compare everything yesterday to, I don't know, 10 days ago to... Obama's recent surge, which, by the way, clearly helped him in a lot of states, um, but you can't surge overnight and make up 25-point deficits against the most famous and, frankly, one of the most respected uh, leaders of the Democratic Party. Yeah, and by the way, uh, let's so people know, Hillary Clinton still has an overall delegate lead. Uh, and Correct. It's, it's a little under 100 uh, delegates that she has a lead. You know, the latest numbers I have are 872 to, for, for Hillary Clinton and uh, 793 for Obama. Real quick here, we have about 30 seconds left, Ari. Why did he do so well in those uh, smaller states uh, that are, by the way, so incredibly white, and he still kicked ass in them, 60 70% wins? Uh, number one, I think he did well because those are states that actually have uh, less uh, brand identification with the Democratic Party, so they're probably less wooed or even potentially fatigued by the Clinton label. Number two, some of those states were caucus states where he always does well because He's got a campaign that really organizes, that uses people-to-people contact. Uh, they've been doing some amazing grassroots outreach uh, in empowering voters and grassroots phone banking off the Internet and just new things that other campaigns aren't doing. Uh, and third, I think his independent message, like John McCain's, frankly, whether you, you buy it or not, the voters are hearing that he and McCain are both more independent mavericks willing to bring change, uh, and that seems to be very appealing right now in, in this economy and with this foreign policy. All right, Ari Melbourne of the Nation. Thanks so much for joining us, Ari. We appreciate it. Bring that shit in. Who I am, race, the ear, the stomach, clear, it's the
curriculum I put my fist in them Eurocentric, every last one of them See right through the red, white, and blue disguise Lecture up, watch the structure of life Dove in our minds and attempted to hold us back We've got to take it back Holes in the spirit, causing tears and fears One-sided stories for years and years and years I'm inferior, who's inferior? Yeah, you need to check the interior of the system Who cares about only one culture and that So we gotta take the power back Media. Today is Wednesday, February 6, 2008, and today we're moving from Super Tuesday to Super Delegates. As you know, if you watched our coverage last night, the big story out of Super Tuesday was that it was a tie. Hillary Clinton won most of the big states, but Barack Obama won a lot more small ones. Now, coming out of last night, Barack Obama seems to have a very slight lead in terms of elected delegates, delegates that were chosen in caucuses and primaries. It looks to be about 20 delegates, although everybody's still trying to figure out exactly how many are gonna be allocated. On the other hand, Hillary Clinton is ahead by about 60 delegates or so if you add in superdelegates. Now remember, we've told you a lot about the fact that the Democrats have proportional allocation in their primaries and caucuses. And that means that going into Super Tuesday, if Hillary Clinton was going to win in a lot of states, it was going to be hard for her to put it away because of proportional allocation. If she wins 60% and Obama wins 40%, she only gets 60% of the delegates. Now, proportional allocation means something a little different. From here on out, the process slows down a bit. We've got a couple primaries and caucuses every week stretching out until April. Going forward, it's going to be really hard for either candidate to win those races so decisively that they open up a real and substantial lead in delegates. Now this is leaving a very good possibility that the margin separating the candidates among elected delegates could be smaller than the number of uncommitted superdelegates. And that means it could very well fall to the superdelegates to decide who the Democratic nominee is. So who the hell are these superdelegates and what makes them super and who chooses them? First, some numbers. There are just over 4,000 delegates going to the Democratic National Convention. There are just under 800 of those who are superdelegates. Now, what superdelegates are, the basic idea behind the superdelegates, is that they're delegates who are delegates because of offices they hold rather than being elected in a primary or a caucus. So what are some of those offices? Every Democratic member of Congress is automatically a superdelegate. Every Democratic governor is a superdelegate. There are certain superdelegates that are there because of past offices that they hold. So every living Democratic president is automatically a superdelegate. Living vice presidents, former speakers of the House, majority leaders in the Senate, and so forth. Now there's something to be said for those delegates. These are people who've routinely gotten elected to high office by Democrats. Those account for about half of those 800 superdelegates. On the other hand, the rest are made up mainly of members of the Democratic National Committee. Now there's some overlap. You'll have governors who are also members of the Democratic National Committee and so forth. So there's a little blend, but basically you've got half of the superdelegates that are elected officials and the other half that are basically party operatives and functionaries, people who are elected to party positions but not real 
elected office. So going forward, we have primaries and caucuses in states like Maryland, Virginia, Washington, Texas, and Ohio. But at the same time, we're going to have another de facto primary taking place to see who can pick up most of these superdelegates. About 300 of them have already committed to either Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Hillary's winning about two to one there, but there's about 500 left. In the coming days, we'll be telling you about who those people are and where they seem likely to go. Everybody's saying that, that we're going to have a real old-fashioned convention. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I'm for Obama, so that was my second choice. <laughs> but, no, I think it, it does get odd if you get to the point where they're equal going into the convention and you have a deadlocked convention and an act of will by both candidates who refuse to surrender to the other. <laughs> I, think uh, I, I don't know right. what you do at that point. I love it. Uh, but I, I have a hunch it won't go that far that but before... Certainly by May, if not earlier, one of them will emerge with enough of a lead that everyone will then go to the other one and say, you need to get out. That's what I think will probably happen. But when all these pundits were saying it was going to be resolved Super Tuesday, you know, I just said we talked about it. That's just absolutely wrong. That's mathematically impossible because of the way the rules are. Yeah, you, you totally figured that out, like, you know, weeks ago. Weeks ago. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And then you, you see how the math goes and you're like, oh, damn, why are, the, why are the media so lazy that they wouldn't sit there and do the math and tell everybody, you know, it's important that you vote on Super Tuesday, but it's very, very close. And this is a race for delegates. And so it's important that you vote in your congressional district and get out there and blah, blah, blah. You know, but they didn't tell anybody anything. I mean, they, you know, even yesterday when they were reporting the results, they said women went for Hillary, blacks went for Obama in Idaho. Hello. There are no black people in Idaho. And he won Idaho 80 to 17 percent. 
Oh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I'll just assume that's not for, uh, by the black vote. Am I right there? Would that no, be correct? No, it's not by the black vote. Okay. It's, it's, it's the white vote against the suntan vote, but that's about it. And, and it raises the point for, for anybody out in the audience or anybody that we know. It, it does matter to vote, and it does matter to support your candidate, whichever candidate that is. Uh, you have the chance to change the course of history. That's how close this is. When is the next primary? Is Virginia next on February 12th, or is there something before that one? We got some caucuses over the weekend. I think it's Washington State is, is coming up over the weekend. And we go into next week, uh, you're going to have the, the Beltway uh, primary with the District of Columbia, uh, Virginia, and Maryland. And, and probably Obama has the advantage uh, at that point. And then they go into uh, a bunch of little small ones week by week. And then you got the big showdown in early March which includes Ohio and Texas, which would be the first time it could be decided. But I have a hunch it may not even be decided by then. But that's going to be the next big kind of junior Super Tuesday. Well, you know, I know Maine is scheduled for February 10th, right? I believe. Yeah, and then uh, Virginia and uh, what, Maryland? Virginia, is Maryland, and D.C. are together. On the 12th. And then there's not a whole, there's a couple in March and then there's, you know, there, there's like a, you know, it's quiet till May. So we got a long way to go. And everybody has to, the turnout, is, is the turnout the story for you? Cause it is for me. Oh, it's unbelievable. And, and what is happening is this really is a transforming election. This really is an election where there is a passion among Democrats of all kinds representing both candidates to come out and vote and to change the country. And I do believe that we're in a 1932 moment, that we're going to have a major realignment here. I personally think it's more likely and more powerful with Obama, but I also believe it's very likely and could be powerful with Hillary if she plays her cards right. And so I think the turnout is enormously important. Uh, the other factor from Obama's point of view is the staggering amount of small donors that he has. Uh, you know, when you raise $32 million in one month, that is extraordinary, and as that matches the advantage that the Democrats in Congress have in the House and Senate over the Republicans. And the other thing we're seeing is a massive retirement of Republicans Republican senators and Republican members of the House. Yeah, talk about that, because that, that, that blows my mind. I mean, I keep telling people there are 23 Republican senators that have to, you know, that are, that are leaving, essentially, or have to, you know, run. Vulnerable, yeah. yeah. Now you've got uh, 28, 29, and it's going to soon be 30 House Republicans. And it, it, some of them happen to be pretty good folks uh, by comparison to other Republicans. We've got a guy across the river here, Tom Davis, a very senior, very moderate Republican. It's going to be a Democratic seat. He had a lot of credibility, and and uh, a lot of leadership and influence on the Republican side. And a few days ago, we said, the hell with it. I'm out. That's now going to be a Democratic seat. And you've got a lot of Republicans who know uh, that they're not going to get back to House. Uh, Democrats will probably pick up at least uh, 15 to 30 seats. You're going to have the same kind of effect in the Senate. And you've got some of the most senior senators are, are leaving. John Warner, Pete Domenici. I mean, you have to laugh. Trent Lott had just been reelected, and he quit to become a lobbyist. I know. That, which is unbelievable and unprecedented. But what does that tell us about what the Republicans really think? Yeah, it tells us that Trent Lott thought his days were numbered, and so he's going to go. Well, the getting was good. This is what I said when, you know, everybody said, why would Trent Lott leave? He was just reelected. Obviously, the money is there to be made. Uh, you know, on behalf of people who want to, oh, let's say, own the Mississippi coastline. 
you know, it's so weird to be represented by a guy who sees opportunity and disaster politics and disaster uh, capitalism and actually does it right in front of your face. And, and, you, and people don't even get the message. Right after he had been reelected. Right. I, mean, I, I, I cannot that's remember that that ever happened. No. It's, it's just amazing. It is amazing. I mean, they're passing out resumes in the cloakroom now. Is that why you like Obama? Because <laughs> <laughs> pass me around in the cloakroom. You know, if Obama's in, there'll be no lobbyists. So uh, they'll get past me around in the cloakroom. Oh, it's amazing. But, but to answer your question, I think the turnout again and again and again is enormously important. Uh, I think uh, what Obama has done is to bring an electricity uh, to the campaign and to bring uh, a whole level of inspiration. I think Hillary, with many women in particular, uh, has created the same kind of a, of a uh, talk of to an me. Enthusiasm. Talk, I do too. I think uh, I think women told me some of the most moving stories yesterday. Uh, a black woman called BJ in Boston. I'll never forget the call. Called me up yesterday and uh, told me her story. Uh, you know, grew up in the segregated South. Uh, you know, was one of the first black kids to go. It's funny because we're both from, uh, well, I'm from New York, but I, you know, uh, she's from uh, West Palm Beach and, and referred to a high school that I know very well. And she was one of the first black kids in that high school. And it was like, oh, God, that must have sucked. Uh, and, you know, people are telling me these really inspirational stories. A woman, you know, told me that her mother was an abused woman and that she voted for Hillary. And as she was casting her vote, oh, Christ, she said, uh, this is for you, Mom. I mean, the stories were, were, were insanely moving. You oh, know? Yeah. I cannot remember any kind of an election like this. Uh, I mean, in, in, certainly in my political lifetime, where there was this kind of a passion, this kind of an inspiration. Yep. And, and it's, it's affecting both candidates. I think Obama more, but Hillary as well. It's affecting all Democrats. And it is just an amazing sight to behold when you start getting rallies with 20,000 people and you've got candidates capable of raising 30 million bucks a month. And most of that's from small, average Americans. And, and that is going to help every Democrat going forward, no matter who gets nominated. And I, I predicted about a year ago this could be the first $500 million small donor election. And that's actually looking like it may come true. There is going to be an outpouring as we get closer to November that's going to make the turnout and the enthusiasm for both candidates look mild compared to what's coming. So Yesterday happened in politics, huh? Super Fat Tuesday. The Democrats coming out of yesterday are essentially tied, which helps Obama since Hillary Clinton was seen as the frontrunner heading into yesterday, and now the two candidates are seen as even. The Republicans, on the other hand, are a are total train wreck, with Huckabee refusing to die and Mitt Romney unable to get out of his home state's, tiny state's, Mormon state's niche. 
But beyond what yesterday means for who the nominee will be in each party, there's also the bigger picture question of whether we're learning anything through this process about who is going to win the election in November. Part of that, of course, is who's the nominee. But part of that is the question of whether or not the country is leaning Democratic or whether or not the country is leaning Republican. One of the ways to try to answer that question is to look at turnout. Democratic turnout was record-breaking in most of the early voting states. Uh, Republican turnout in the early voting states sucked in comparison. <laughs> in the first four states, uh, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire, the first four states, uh, Republican turnout was down a half million voters from their last contested primary year in 2000. Uh, in Florida, where the Democrats who were voting knew their vote didn't count and the Republicans knew their vote did count, about equal numbers of Republican and Democratic Floridians turned out to vote. And that wouldn't be a big deal if the elections meant the same thing. But given that Democrats were told their vote wouldn't count and they turned out in equal numbers as Republicans, that's a big deal. So that was the setting in terms of voter turnout for the two parties heading into yesterday. So what happened yesterday? Well, I can tell you that generally speaking, turnout was up. In lots of places, way up. In Alaska, for example, a Democratic caucus in Anchorage that had a previous attendance record of 254, they got 4,000 people yesterday. In Rio Rancho, New Mexico, at least 1,000 people were still in line to vote when polls closed. Kansas Democrats predicted they'd get 10 or 11,000 people turning out yesterday. They got more than triple that. In the cold and snow as well in Kansas, uh, in Wichita, people waited two hours in rain and snow. In Topeka, a caucus site that was set up for 350 people got a turnout of 900. In Boise, Idaho yesterday, a caucus site that printed 9,000 ballots had to go copy another 5,000 ballots during the day yesterday. Turnout blew away their expectations. So we know that turnout, generally speaking, was up. And we have a lot of anecdotal information about Democratic caucuses and Democratic polling places having very heavy traffic. But are you ready for the big news? This is the news that ought to be three-inch headlines, three-inch tall headlines over the fold in every newspaper and at every political website in the country. Are you ready for the partisan split in voter turnout yesterday? I, I have to tell you, I have not yet sat down with my calculator or my abacus or whatever and done this state by state, which is the most satisfying way to do this. I'm hoping I can do that tonight, even though I'm wicked tired, <laughs> and get it for you for tomorrow's show. I think I'm going to be staying late at the office tonight to do this state by state. But at Time Magazine, they calculated the Democratic turnout versus the Republican turnout for all of the states combined, for all of the states that were voting yesterday. This is the biggest story of the day. You want to know how much higher the Democratic turnout was yesterday than the Republican turnout? 73%. 73% more Democrats turned out to vote yesterday than Republicans did. And that's actually a conservative figure because that only compares the 19 states where both parties had elections yesterday. That doesn't even factor in that there were more states than that. That's just, to be fair, to be conservative, small c conservative, that's just comparing the the, the 19 states where both parties had elections in the same states. The turnout of voters who were excited to choose between McCain and Huckleberry and Mittens was about 8.4 million, about 8.4 million voters voted in the Republican primaries and caucuses yesterday. The turnout of voters who were excited to choose between Clinton and Obama, 14.5 million. 14.5 million versus 8.4 for the Republicans. 73% more Democratic voters yesterday than Republicans. 73%. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's huge.
Thursday, February 7th, 2008, and this is a special No More Mitmentum to Kick Around Anymore edition of our weekly 2008 Campaign Roundup, episode 12. And as you probably know, Mitt Romney dropped out of the Republican nomination race today. He did it at something called the CPAC conference down in Washington, D.C. That's the big conservative right-wing hoedown they have once a year. So he definitely did it in front of a very receptive and ended up to be disappointed audience. Now, for me, my favorite part of Mitt's speech was why he decided to get out of the race. It turns out that it's not because he's already spent tens of millions of his own dollars and doesn't want to spend any more. And it's not because John McCain has basically kicked his butt and there's no way, even mathematically almost, he can win this race at this point. It turns out Mitt Romney is dropping out of the Republican race because it's necessary to win the war on terror. Now, if I fight on in my campaign all the way to the convention, I reckon... I want you to know, given this a lot of thought, I'd forestall the launch of a national campaign. And frankly, I'd be making it easier for Senator Clinton or Obama to win. <laughs> frankly, in this time of war, I simply cannot let my campaign be a part of aiding a surrender to terror. This isn't an easy decision. I hate to lose. I entered this race because I love America. And because I love America, in this time of war, I feel I have to now stand aside for our party and for our country. You guys are great. <laughs> we cannot allow the next president of the United States to retreat in the face of evil extremism. 
Now, you probably know here at TPM, we've been following the MIT campaign pretty closely. And looking back on it, what I can say is that even though until Super Tuesday, he didn't really fall behind much in delegates, what, you, what really stands out about MIT's campaign is that he never won a single stand-up fight. The, the states that he won were either caucuses that were basically uncontested or primaries that were close to uncontested. The big example of that is Michigan. He pulled all his resources from other states. John McCain was sort of half contesting it, half not, and he won, but that was really the only example. You go down the list, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Florida, those were the three stand-up fights in this race, and he got beat by John McCain every time. Now, here's the thing to consider as Mitt drops out. You know, Mitt was basically a phony conservative, but a lot of conservatives around the country and on talk radio and stuff like that were more than happy to go with a hypocrite if at least he'd be consistent about it and really, you know, act like he meant it. Now, a lot of those same people don't like John McCain, so as Mitt jumps out and basically assures McCain the nomination, what you want to look for is just how much are those hardline conservatives willing to pull together, unite about around John McCain. Now, before Mitt spoke, he was introduced by Laura Ingram, talk show radio host, Mitt supporter, and also sort of general celebrity conservative. Now, you might expect, since she would have known that Mitt was about to drop out of the race, she would have talked up Mitt, but maybe made it a little conciliatory or something like that. Not at all. Her whole speech was basically bashing John McCain, and you listened to the response of the crowd. It was very telling. So we're going to show you a few clips of Ingram and her red meat speech. Well, I have a two-word response for all of those people out there, uh, and many of them in the room covering uh, CPAC, that uh, people are saying that we need to get past uh, our affinity for conservative ideals and also our desire for a leader who stands proudly for conservative ideals. Two words, wishful thinking. No one can embody all of Ronald Reagan. It's impossible. He was a man unique to his time and uh, his challenges. But we do want and I think deserve a candidate who is proud to be a conservative and who embodies conservative ideals. Is that too much to ask? I don't think it's enough to say that, you know, you were a foot soldier in the Reagan revolution. I think the question is, what have you been doing for conservatism lately? An obsession with endless bipartisan compromises does not keep us free. Of all the people introducing the three remaining candidates uh, for president, I get to introduce the conservative. I don't have to calm down about it because it's really easy. You know his resume, but he is a national security conservative. He is a proud social conservative, and he is a fiscal conservative. In other words, Mitt Romney is the conservative's conservative. If you'll um, take your seats, please, and quiet down, we'll proceed. We have to stick with the program so we get through it and particularly so that when 3 o'clock comes, uh, Mr. Romney's main opponent will be able to have some time as well. No, I don't know. Oh, so 
Center. I'm Wolf Blitzer reporting. We're watching the Democratic and Republican race for the White House. A very, very good night for Barack Obama tonight. Uh, the winner in Washington state, 94% of the precincts now reporting, but in Washington state, Barack Obama wins. He also wins in Louisiana. The uh, precincts reporting there uh, so far about 40%, but we've projected Barack Obama, the winner in Louisiana. Also a third win for Barack Obama tonight in Nebraska. The caucus is there. 99% of the vote is in, in Nebraska uh, and Barack Obama wins. It, it's a clean sweep. All three of the major contests tonight for Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton not winning any of those states. I said if things don't change, we had it for the Armageddon. We had a great dragon with seven heads and horns at the Armageddon. Listen to the quiet children. of all matter, masters and their extended batters, internet intelligence for investments, for the natural world, their divestments, truth is knowledge, although bipolar, if its attainment is equitable, man's mirrors face the flesh, but hide the spirit in opposite worlds, vision can only be attained universally, lamps of varied sizes and shapes, carrying different shades, all having the propensity to illuminate, let's ruminate on realization that the means is the end, the earth's water is mirroring the stream of consciousness, the dead being reborn as flowers smiling through the battlefield. It's the hip hop boys, turn your radio down. It's the rock and roll boys, turn your radio down. Welcome back to MSNBC's continuing coverage of a big night for Barack Obama as he has swept the primaries in Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. Also, John McCain fights off a scare in Virginia, and here's how the results played out. For the Democrats, Barack Obama won over Hillary Clinton in Virginia by a substantial margin. He beat Senator Clinton in Maryland as well, and also in Washington, D.C. Here's what Obama told his supporters in Madison, Wisconsin tonight. The change we seek swept through Chesapeake and over the Potomac. We, we won the state of Maryland. We won the Commonwealth of Virginia. 
And though we won in Washington, D.C., this movement won't stop until there's change in Washington, D.C. And tonight we're on our way. Now to the Republicans, John McCain hung on for a close win in Virginia, then beat Mike Huckabee in Maryland as well as in Washington, D.C. And here's McCain earlier tonight in Alexandria, Virginia. We don't yet know for certain who will have the honor of being the Democratic Party's nominee for president. But we know where either of their candidates will lead this country, and we dare not let them. We dare not. And let's take a look at how tonight's contest changed the delegate race. And for that, we're joined by Chuck Todd, political director for NBC News. Hi there, Chuck. Hello, hello. Well, let's start with what we know, the hard count. Our new hard count from our elections unit is Obama at 1078 to 969 for Senator Clinton. That's more than 100 delegate, pledged delegate lead. Uh, an estimate, the, the estimate that we've come up with when you factor in uh, all the unallocated is going to be approximately 1128 for Obama after all is said and done to 1009 uh, so 120 almost 120 delegate uh, lead going in to the next round of primaries and I'll get to why that's important in a few minutes but the most important thing about tonight and we had talked about this over the weekend Nora I think you and I talked about this on Saturday and that is when you factor in the superdelegates who's got the lead now well, at 261 superdelegates, uh, 261 for Senator Clinton, 176, 178 for Senator Obama. Our new totals, everything included, 1306 for Obama, 1270 for Senator Clinton. So tonight is the first night that Barack Obama can say, including the superdelegates, that he has the delegate lead. And it's actually a fairly healthy delegate lead, even with the supers at 36. Now, what does this mean, and what does that 100-delegate-plus lead mean going into uh, the next round of primaries? Well, look, we've got Wisconsin coming up next week and Hawaii. Hawaii is a de facto home state for Barack Obama. Wisconsin, similar rules as to what we saw in Virginia. Same-day registration, hint, hint, youth vote. Uh, in Independents can move in. Republicans can go vote. Uh, not as large of an African-American population as Virginia, but you get the picture. There's a possibility that Wisconsin could look a lot like Virginia tonight, probably not the same margins, but he could get another net 15, 20 delegates out of next week. So that means going in to those March 4th primaries with Texas and Ohio, Senator Clinton has to start winning with some 60%. I've done the math here. After tonight, she's got to win 55% of remaining delegates. If she loses by the margins that she could lose next week in Wisconsin or Hawaii, that number edges up to 57. When you realize that Barack Obama is still going to win some primaries between March 4th and uh, the end of the primary season, then you look at the places that she's planning on winning, she's got to win big. She's got to win with over 60% in all of these remaining races. And she's got to get large numbers, large chunks of numbers. Now, she's done that in a few states. She won, she got a net 45, 46 delegates out of New York. She did it out of California. But she's going to have to do it in every place she wins. She's got to win big. The problem is the curves are going in the wrong direction. Just when she needs to get hot, it's Obama that's got the momentum. And so it's hard to imagine 
that at a time when she's got to get 60% of the vote, let's say, in Texas, and 60% of the vote in Ohio, he's the guy that just won 10 straight primaries. He's the one that the national primary vote is probably going to start showing him edging ahead. He's the one that's going to look like he's matching up better with John McCain. So the math is starting to get very difficult. I heard Howard uh, Feynman earlier that the, those folks are just hoping to keep it close. It's going to be, it's 120-something de pledged delegate lead now. Could climb to as high as 150 uh, after next week. Then all of a sudden, you know, what happens uh, on the week of March 4th? How much can they cut that deficit? Don't forget, super delegates get climb aboard. And by the way, here's another fun fact after tonight. I, we've been doing the total popular vote, and I, I don't have the number. We're, we're looking at, you know, we've been gathering all the data. Some 20 million people have voted in the Democratic primary. Well, we had done a total popular vote of just states that awarded delegates, and Barack Obama had been winning that number. But we'd also been keeping track of Florida and Michigan. You throw those in. that didn't award any delegates. Two places Hillary Clinton won. Well, she had a 400,000 uh, vote advantage over Obama when you factored in Michigan and Florida. After tonight, that advantage is wiped out. That's how big Barack Obama's victories were in Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. That he's going to possibly have the total popular vote lead even when you factor in Michigan, where his name wasn't on the ballot, so she got sort of a, three, a free 300,000 votes there, or 250,000 votes. And Florida, a place he didn't campaign. It was a big, big night for Barack Obama. Very big night, Chuck. I think the two most important points you made, just that, that he's now winning in the popular vote, because I've heard Senator Clinton point out, she says, well, I've still won the popular vote. And as you pointed out, this is the first night that Obama takes the lead in the overall delegate race. Key question for you. You point out how difficult it is and how much Hillary Clinton has to win in these future contests. Did it get more difficult because his wins were so big in Virginia and Maryland tonight. Had she had a better showing, would it have been tough for her going going forward? Well, there was one estimate that the Obama campaign, you know, this this Bloomberg chart that everybody uh, got their hands on, uh, that they doubled. They doubled what they expected to get out of Virginia. They thought Virginia would be a narrow victory for them and that they would get maybe a net 10 delegates out of it. Instead, they got a net 22 delegates uh, out of Virginia. In Maryland, they expected a net 12 or 13. Instead, it looks like they're going to net 20. Even in the District of Columbia, uh, he's going to net uh, he's going to net some uh, 10, uh, nine delegates, I believe it is. So every one of his margins were huge, and that probably added 20, 25 delegates to his count tonight. Uh, that you know that she can't afford to give up anymore, and he's just piling up these victories. Because when he wins, as you point out, Nora, he's winning big when he's winning in these areas, winning huge when he did it in Washington State. So he's able to just pile up these margins, and that instead of three-three splits, they become four-two, and you know you start going inside the numbers, and you know those delegates pile up. Chuck Todd, thank you so much. Uh, the math is so interesting, and NBC's Andrea Mitchell.
Hi, Keith. Well, in talking to top officials of both the Obama campaign and the Clinton campaign, here's what I think is really going on behind the scenes. The bottom line is that I think both would agree it's highly unlikely, both sides would agree that it's highly unlikely that Hillary Clinton is going to finish this primary season with a lead in pledged delegates. Virtually impossible. The game for Hillary Clinton is to somehow keep her uh, the distance of behind that she is as minimal as possible. The highest number they could probably expect is be to be behind by maybe 30 pledged delegates. It could be as many as 200. Now, the key difference here is this. If it's a s relatively small and manageable number, which may just be a pipe dream in the, in, in the, in for the Clinton camp, but that's what they're focusing on, they will then argue that they are free to use the superdelegates to try to somehow wrest the nomination from Barack Obama, even though he led and pledged delegates. But the bigger that number gets, politically, strategically, the more difficult it would get for Hillary Clinton to rely successfully on superdelegates, because if she did so and somehow managed to take the nomination that way, she would unloose uh, a real firestorm within the Democratic Party. So that's what's going on here, and the reason Hillary is fighting everywhere she can is not because she thinks she can win, but because she's trying to shrink that number. Even as the Obama mm -hmm. campaign tonight is telling me that there are 125 delegates ahead in terms of pledged delegates. So in a yes or a no, we're seeing the superdelegates begin to surrender their superness? Well, yes, they're really not the issue here. Right. They're not the issue. It's, 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 the ple it's the pledged delegates. And, you know, I think the notion that, that Hillary is somehow going to come within 20 or 30 by the end of this process is probably unlikely. But that's what the Clinton people are desperately hoping for as they look ahead. Howard Feynman, great. So last night was a very interesting night, wasn't it, huh? The, uh, the nation's first uh, primary, uh, nationwide primary, what the hell, that's, uh, that's exactly what it was. Uh, so when the smoke clears this morning and uh, uh, everybody uh, tries to regain some sense of equilibrium, the reality is it was essentially a tie for the Democrats, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Um, with depending on how you want to guess how the superdelegates are going to fall, uh, you might say Obama won last night, or all right, but you might say Clinton won last night. But the Clinton campaign had a conference call uh, with reporters this morning, and they said they estimate that neither their side, Clinton's or Barack's side, will win the de uh, delegate count uh, <coughs> from Super Tuesday by more than maybe five to ten uh, uh, delegates. Uh, and uh, it was stressed that the race will probably come down to the superdelegates, where the Clinton campaign currently has a significant lead. The, uh, of course, the Obama, uh, Obama campaign is also claiming to be ahead in the, in the uh, superdelegate count. Uh, you all know what superdelegates are, right? It, it's a way, it, it, was, it, it was put into play, this idea of superdelegates was put into play uh, after the McGovern nomination in 1972 because... Um, although Senator George McGovern was absolutely, totally, completely, ab just without a doubt, right in the middle of the bullseye, and everything he said about the pig uh, Dick Nixon turned out to be absolutely, utterly, completely true less than two years later, 
when Nixon had to uh, tuck his tail between his legs and, and retire to San Clemente forever and ever, world without end, amen. Even so, the Democratic Party establishment had a total nerve out. Because the American people, even back in 1972, were dumber than a sack full of doorknobs and went with Dick Nixon. What did McGovern win? One state? Two? So the Democratic Party establishment, the leadership, which eventually morphed into the DLC, decided, hey, look, uh, you know, we can't we can't allow this to happen anymore. Um, you can't trust these damn delegates. You can't trust these people from Iowa and Oklahoma and uh, California and Oregon to uh, have any sense whatsoever where it concerns the really big issues. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have something called superdelegates. So so the little people can dance around and have their caucuses and, and they can run out and vote in, in, on primary day. But we will control the ultimate nominee if we feel that the one the delegates pick is not one that's going to win. So that's what superdelegates are all about. And you think you live in a society that has representational government. Please, please, don't be stupid. All right. We live in a system where every single thing is controlled. Now, there's a way to change that, but we're not ready for that yet. So anyway, the superdelegates include every Democratic member of Congress, all the Democratic governors, former presidents and vice presidents, Democratic National Committee members, and the Democratic National Committee appoints some extra ones as well. So there, there are close to 800 superdelegates, superdelegates, and over 400 of them have not expressed an opinion yet. The, uh, the pledged delegates, the ones that were uh, voted on last night in the primaries, they have to vote for the candidate they're pledged to vote for in the first round at the uh, so-called convention, nominating convention, which this year will have more of an appearance of being a nominating convention. But don't forget the superdelegates hanging in the upper reaches of the uh, uh, palm trees waiting to see if the proles have the sense to pick the person they want picked. And if not, then they come chattering and screaming to the floor of the convention center, tossing bananas and peanuts as they go, and they decide... Who's going to be the candidate? Big thanks go out to Jim over at PunditFight.com for providing the artwork for this episode and to Chris for producing this episode. Chris was also the winner of the raffle for the first week in February and the only person so far besides Jay to send us any clips. So he easily won himself a best of the left hoodie and is currently the only person in the raffle to win the iPod Nano that we're giving away. Now, I know there's definitely not a shortage of political news happening these days. And I know that there are a lot of you out there who listen to other uh, progressive talk shows besides Best of the Left podcast. And I'm assuming that there's a few of you out there who wouldn't mind having a free iPod. So I don't understand why I got 
so few clips sent in. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it even easier for you to win a hoodie and easier for you guys to send in clips. We're going to extend the drawing for the iPod from the end of February to the end of March. This gives you guys an extra 30 days to enter the drawing for the iPod. I'm still going to be giving away hoodies once a week as long as I continue to get clips and I've also created some video tutorials that you can watch on how to get clips from your favorite shows using GarageBand and Audacity. Audacity is free audio editing software available for Mac or PC and GarageBand comes bundled with the iLife software that comes pre-installed on every Mac. You can find links to these video tutorials links to download Audacity and GarageBand, links to pictures of the prizes, and links to detailed raffle instructions, all on the Send Us Clips page of our website. So if you're one of those people that listen to another political, uh, progressive, left-wing radio shows and podcasts out there and you've thought about sending us clips but didn't quite know how to do it just check out these tutorials and you'll see how amazingly simple it is to edit clips from your favorite shows so that's basically all i wanted to talk about thanks for listening good luck with the raffles remember to review us on itunes if you haven't um, vote for us over at Podcast Alley, dig us on dig.com, and we'll see you all again next week. Peace. It was a creed written into the founding documents that declared the destiny of the nation. Yes, we can. It was whispered by slaves and abolitionists as they blazed the trail toward freedom. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. It was sung. It was sung by immigrants as they struck out the distant shore of pioneers who pushed westward against unforgiving wilderness. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. It was the call of workers organized, women who reached for the ballots. A president who chose the moon as our new frontier. And a king who took us to the mountaintop. And pointed the way to the promised land. Yes, we can for justice and equality. Yes, we can. 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 Yes, we can to opportunity and prosperity. Yes, we can to opportunity and prosperity. Yes, we can heal this nation. Heal this nation. Yes, we can repair this world. Yes, we can. 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 Y
Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We know the battle ahead will be long. But always remember that no matter what obstacles stand in our way, nothing can stand in the way of the power of millions of voices calling for change. We have been told we cannot do this by a chorus of sentences. They will only grow louder and more disciplined. We've been asked to pause for a reality check. We've been warned against offering the people of this nation false hope. But in the unlikely story that is America, there's never been anything false about our hope. Yes, we can. Yes, we can.